You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, November 8th. Notre Dame coming off a 34-6 victory over Navy to move to 8-1 and one on the season. We'll find out on Tuesday where Notre Dame is in the college football playoff poll. They were number seven in the AP poll, though I guess there isn't a whole lot of correlation much uh, anymore these days now that the college football playoff poll has started. But Notre Dame ends up doing an excellent job against triple option football. The Notre Dame's uh, defensive interior really blew everything up. Once they started controlling, led by Kurt Heinisch, once they started controlling the interior, there is no triple option to be had. Uh, Notre Dame's offense finally picked up a little bit. You know, it's they go scoreless in the first quarter, scoreless in the third, bunched together 17 points in the second and fourth quarters. A little sporadic offensively, but it's enough to get Notre Dame to eight and one, guys. Yeah, I mean, overall, strong performance defensively. And, I mean, it was so strong that, like, the misfire, sputtering parts of the offense in the first quarter really didn't even matter. Um, the defense was so good that you could sort of move past that very quickly. So it's uh, I a lot of credit to Marcus Freeman, but also Mike Elston, because, I mean, there was no bigger blowout on that field than Notre Dame's defensive line against Navy's offensive line. And that that goes beyond just talent, where Notre Dame had a huge advantage. but like. Technically, Notre Dame just they ragdolled them all game. Yeah, the uh, I talked to Pete about this walking up. The last three first half matchups against Navy, zero points, three points, and three points allowed by Notre Dame. And one of those was, of course, one of Navy's five best teams of the millennium and against one of their most dangerous players in Malcolm Perry. So this defensive line and Mike Elston has really started to own the day. Um, they get ahead by a lot, and then it's over for Navy. This one, of course. You guys mentioned the offense sputtering. You know, it would have been – Notre Dame still would have won the game, but it's a pretty big deal that Kevin Austin scored at the end of that, right, if we're still trying to drill down on one game. But, man, oh, man, it wouldn't – I mean, there's no way Navy was scoring two touchdowns later in the game. So, I, I don't nope. think uh, – even if they didn't score there and Navy went down and kicked a field goal to make it 10-6, I, I don't think uh, – or went for it on fourth down and got it. It still wouldn't have mattered all that much. The second touchdown theory might have been lost. Well, so, it's a good thing it didn't happen because it was proven. <laughs> Well, and you know, when Ty Lavatai, their, their starting quarterback, went out, you know, yeah. we immediately said they have no chance. But really, you have no chance when Kurt Heinisch and Jacob Lacey and Jason Adam Alola, they're just destroying the interior of that Navy offensive line. And that, that's, where the, that's where the game ended when, when we knew they were controlling that. I had 12 run stuffs for the interior line only. So, well, they Heinisch, had, I mean, they had Lacey, like, Adamiola. <laughs> and cross, not even including Mills, because Mills was playing outside of this one mostly. I that's amazing. They, From they had like tackle and nose. They had ta- the interior had tackles on like forty-seven percent of the running plays <laughs> that the Navy had, and, and you know that first of all, it takes away the fullback, which they did. I mean, they didn't yeah. take them away in terms of touches because they had twenty-six, but they only averaged three yards a carry. Yeah. And then when that's getting blown up, when when the quarterback is thrown off his mark after the snap of the football. You know, now all you really have left is the pitch. And in all the years of watching Notre Dame against Navy, triple option, Air Force, triple option, Army, when, when if all they have is the pitch, and a lot of times that's a seven-yard run, nine-yard run, you know, a lot of times those guys have a high average per carry over the course of the season. It's that is not enough. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to have the uh, the fullback and quarterback component, the slot back is generally not the position that beats you. Become and, a terrible matchup for Navy. Yeah, and it's like Navy, I don't 
we don't need to drill down on Navy's talent level all that much, but like Navy doesn't have the slapbacks of that it had 10 years ago where he was actually fast and could run away from you if you gave him um, kind of an angle. So it's it's not a talented Navy team in terms of slapbacks. It's a young offensive line as far as Navy goes. Like they had no chance in the game. And that's a good point, Pete. In 2018, Malcolm Perry was the slotback who all of a sudden got going in the second half. And yeah. it's not like they made the game close, but they scored a bunch of points. They made, they made Notre Dame keep their varsity in through the game because they kept scoring in the second half. And it was his speed. And I think we all remember Gigi Green and the picture of uh, him running by Notre Dame in the Meadowlands. This kind of, you go back to that stadium, it's one of those giant posters of him getting ready to score. He was just faster than Notre Dame's linebackers back then. Well, no, hey, Notre Dame's. Uh... <laughs> Notre Dame's triple offense, off, uh, triple option offense, defense, triple option defense uh, has come a long way since 2010, hasn't it? When, when yeah. they had no plan you don't, you don't see a lot of three man fronts anymore, uh, <laughs> or trying to catch the fullback five yards down the field, or Alexander Teach having no one to block as he. Yeah, you also see somebody a lot of- for a touchdown. Guys looking slower than Navy's players anymore either because they looked a lot slower than Navy's I players in this, that game. I made this point in my sort of Monday wrap-up how I'm like, isn't it weird how Notre Dame's defense doesn't seem to get injured against Navy when Notre Dame's defense is well-coached? Yeah, it's very true. I mean, we don't – yeah, you don't – there's not a lot of talk about cut blocks and and uh, and those kind of things. Now, they've, they've, they've come a very long way. Uh, Brian Kelly talked about the – the book that they had gathered on playing triple option football. And it's pretty sound now. I mean, uh, uh, Tim, your, your stats about, uh, you know, as far as scoring in the first half against them is evident. And then just, you know, what they were able to do physically, but you know, they, I don't know, maybe they haven't had the physical advantage, um, you know, that, that they have now compared to the, the first few years pre Matt Bayless. And we do have a, a Matt Bayless question in the second segment, but uh, yeah, that's enough talk about Navy. Uh, that that game was over early, even if the score didn't didn't quite indicate it. And so we move on to well, let's talk about Avery Davis. Avery Davis, as suspected, has a torn ACL. He's out for the year. Interesting that Brian Kelly would talk about. I mean, we knew that Avery Davis was preparing for the NFL. Maybe this changes his mind a little bit. The door is certainly open yeah. if he wants to return. But um, you know that would be a sixth year for him. I still, I still think that that, I still think that's doubtful. But it was interesting that Brian Kelly couched it the way that he did because maybe Avery Davis would think about possibly coming back. Although I doubt, I still doubt that at this time. I guess I'm not as far away from as a possibility as you are. Um, I think the off the field stuff is why guys don't want to come back for six years. Like Sean Crawford was almost embarrassed to be there for six years. You know. Um, Davis, I think, was the whole goal was he would have pretty good tape and he would run really fast and probably test very well. He can't do any of that. He has yeah. his tape and he can't do any of that. So the, the difference is coming back and getting hurt again and having absolutely no chance would be one reason you might not come back, right? An extra yeah, reason would, not to come back would be that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The timing of it is just sort of terrible for Davis. Yeah. It's like you're thinking pro day workouts, you're thinking combine and like, I mean, we've said this a million times with other receivers. There's how many Avery Davises are there in the NFL? Yeah. A ton of them. And there, I mean, there will be a ton in the draft too. It's just, he's not a, he's a, he's sort of a common body type skill set. Um, and if you're injured and can't perform at maximum level, then 
having to delay all that a year could make sense. Yeah. Tim, are there more Avery Davises in the NFL or Kevin Austin? I think there's more Kevin Austins, honestly, because Avery Davis will go out and earn his position on uh, special teams. But if you're in terms of saying who could become better pro wide receiver, it's clearly Kevin Austin. But Avery Davis is a guy that can stick, right? If he in good health, in good health, I don't think I'd bet against you. Let's say Avery Davis goes undrafted, never got hurt, goes undrafted, ends up on the Packers. And you're like, I would not be shocked if that guy is on that roster playing special teams for a little while and being the last wide receiver. Whereas Kevin Austin's got to make the team straight up 100% wide receiver. And he he hopefully will be doing that in two years. Kyle Hamilton, not listed on this week's depth chart. Brian Kelly was asked about him and he said, there's still no determination. Uh, Pete, you and I are, are, our sources continue to tell us that this is not happening with Kyle Hamilton. Instead, I mean, I would say it's, I mean, at best, he's doubtful for this Saturday or will be listed as doubtful, but I don't think we're going to see Kevin or uh, Kyle Hamilton again. Yeah, it's, um, you know, that's sort of why I asked the question about how much practice time would he actually need to play? And Kelly, I think, kind of half jokingly said, like, if he got cleared on Saturday, he could play on Saturday. Like, that's, that's not true. Um, you know, I think Kelly's just kind of, being having a lighthearted moment on a serious topic with that. Like that's, there's no way Kyle Hamilton could be cleared on Saturday and play Saturday. He's two and a half weeks removed from actual playing football. Now Um, you drop off pretty quickly with that. So I don't, it's like if Notre Dame was in the running to win a national championship or favorable to make the playoff maybe you'd have a different perspective on it but uh they're not so i would it yeah this, this may sort of be the end of the road here and i think he would be clear before Saturday. i mean i think he's either ready to go at the end of the day today or tomorrow medically or he's not right. too. i don't i don't really think it's like oh man we had a miracle heal here and he's right so much better friday yeah. night it's he's either gonna be ready pretty much now or not and then so what happens is if he doesn't play against virginia He's probably he not no needed against Georgia yeah. Tech and Stanford. So, uh, you know, it's just the, the, the time is dwindling. The window for him to get back is dwindling. I would say that if he doesn't play against Virginia this week, then he's probably going to shut it down. That's a good point to uh, let's say Virginia was the Stanford game. I think we would maybe see Kyle Hamilton play again for Notre Dame. Notre Dame goes out and rips up Stanford this weekend for some reason it's here, you know, whatever, different team. And then they beat Georgia Tech on senior day. I bet you would see Kyle Hamilton three weeks further in, healthy, and say, I want to play with my 10-1 and team and maybe overriding people that would are wisely advising him not to play, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Two more weeks of healing, two and a half more weeks of healing, that's – that's something that, and then you can really see what's on the line too. It's not like they don't know what's on the line for this game because they're going to win the next two, but it's still not the same as win and you have this, and maybe you're number six going into that game and you have that hope, right? Like they did in 2015 where there were five going in and you had a hope you would still make the playoffs. That's that's a different situation. Do you expect to see Notre Dame at number nine uh, in the college football playoff poll tomorrow, Tuesday? I think they will be higher. Maybe, um, I was going to say maybe eight. Yeah, I, I think there'll be a little recency bias on Michigan State by the committee. I don't think that I, I would put Notre Dame nine. I My prediction is like Notre Dame would be nine, but Michigan State would still be ahead of them based on the fact that they beat Michigan, who the committee also thinks very highly of. And Notre Dame doesn't have a win in that group. 
Yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, that's a lot, that's very logical. I just think the recency bias is going to hurt them, Michigan State, a little bit. I, I, I would projecting, I'm putting in Monday musings, I am projecting Notre Dame 8, Michigan State 9, and I am in the great minority from the press conference on Saturday night where everybody said I was wrong. And you guys might all be right. But I think things will change a little bit here from the first. It's so weird with Oklahoma being off. What's more fun to talk about is all the games this week that affect the playoff because you have Michigan is a toss-up, one-point underdog. You have Baylor yep. hosting Oklahoma. That's clearly a winnable game for Baylor. Uh, you have Virginia hosting Notre Dame, which is a winnable game if Armstrong plays and Hamilton does not, and if Armstrong can make it through. Um, I guess who do you think is coming in 10 would be like Oklahoma State now, right? Obviously, they're just by default. Yes. They're kind of – Yes. Yeah, and they, they had a they're, good they're, win over the weekend. Yeah, West, at, they're playing uh, T, at TCU, and TCU is obviously still viable from upsetting Baylor. Yep. Yep. Cincinnati plays Thursday night. I mean, I don't think they have another close game, but they're the worst team in turn. They're kind of a vulnerable team in that if they're not clicking, you can just see South Florida being down 17, 13 in the fourth quarter. Right. Mm, I don't know. South Florida. Is, mm. Yeah. I don't no, know they're, no, good. they're no good. They're <laughs> no good. But I mean, they've played NC state, Florida, they kept Brigham young close. I mean, Brigham young, that's a yeah. pretty good team. Yeah, that's pretty close. good. Yeah. Hey, real quickly. Uh, and we'll talk about Virginia in a second, second, second segment, but, uh, Brennan Armstrong, broken rib or damaged ribs. Um, he's They're averaging over 400 yards passing per game. Obviously, his presence on the field this weekend is significant. Without him, I think it, 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 I mean, it, it absolutely changes everything. They don't have a quarterback that's thrown 10 passes. They have a, a Mississippi State grad transfer quarterback, but he hasn't really played. Their quarterbacks that have come in have been more like Wildcat runners yeah. than they have been pros of the football, which is the exact opposite of what they want to do offensively. Yeah. It's, I, from a college football fan point of view, I really would have loved to have seen Brendan Armstrong at full strength in person. Um, Cause man, just statatistically it's off the charts, what he's doing. Um, and what that, that over 3,500 yards passing. It's insane. Um, yeah. But we're not, we're not going to get that. Uh, and that is good news for Notre Dame. Cause I, I asked Brian Kelly about, you know, Ian Book's broken rib against Northwestern a few years ago. He said it was a game time decision against USC. I don't, I didn't remember it as that touch and go. Um, but Ian Book, I know the fact that Ian Book returned to play at all. Some doctors that I had talked to were like, yeah, you don't really come back from that um, that quickly because if you, you have a chance to like damage it further and then you're in some real trouble. So it's, it, I feel like we'll see Armstrong play, but not play anywhere close to what Brendan Armstrong, national leader in total offense, is. Well, and consider this: um, he's their leading rusher, and he has seven rushing touchdowns. And Brian Kelly today, with hyperbole, compared to Sam Howell, because no one runs like Jim Brown south there in North Carolina. Sam Howell, most incredible runner we've seen in five decades. The way people bounce off him for no reason. But Brendan Armstrong can't be the leading rusher with a uh, black jacket no. on protecting his ribs. So that no, tends to take that, away a lot of that. Okay. Yeah, even if – right, that's a good point. Yeah. Even if he plays, that's that significantly alters their running game. Tim, go ahead. Did you guys end up seeing the Sam Howell touchdown I, I heard on the radio? I went back and looked. He just sheds people like they don't exist and it doesn't matter to him when he's running. I, I can't believe I, how good of a runner he has become as a college quarterback. But – no, I know it's incredible. His lower body is fun to watch. It's, it's it's really incredible. Notre Dame, not the only one that has difficulty yeah. tackling Sam Howell. Real quick, Virginia's defense. Just having watched 
a good portion of the BYU game, which as you can imagine, I, I mean, that, that I'm not even really sure why they put a defensive line out there sometimes because it's obliterated off the snap of the football. So should be some good things for Notre Dame's offense. Kyron Williams, Logan Diggs, I think are going to have a lot of success running the football this weekend. We'll be back in a minute. Segment two, burning up the boards. Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Gallivan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more. Burning up the board, segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Buster Biven. Which seldom used players impressed you during the fourth quarter of the Navy game? Well, Xavier Watts will be high and very high on the list, right? Just the way he plays different safety than some other safeties on the team. Physically? A little bit of, little bit of aggressive, uh, ag- aggression. Attacking. And, yes. Contact. What do they call it? Thirst for contact as opposed to avoiding it at all costs. Uh, but, but now, before we you know, push that forward, you got to be assignment correct against a four really good receivers and a tight end against Virginia. So I do not, I am not in the camp where I think Xavier Watts, maybe if we're trying to go forward a week, maybe you use him as your goal line safety coming down the alley on third and goal, the three yard line on fourth and one at the 10, you know, but it's, I still go back to Houston Griffith and DJ Brown, just kind of playing their positions against Virginia. Sadly. Uh, Kahanukia. I liked a lot. Uh, and it's not really maybe a fourth quarter question because he made some impact on special teams as well earlier in the game. But um, I don't know, he's always been an incredibly intriguing player to me based on what I heard about him in the summer. Um, that he's could be a D end with feet like a DB, uh, and that's that's a that's a fun thing to build around. Probably is a is a five year prospect for for Notre Dame. What's well, cool? Go ahead, Tim. Well, and Prince Colley obviously showed sure. as well. I mean, I, th- there are three uh, freshmen, one of which is a redshirt freshman, Watts. Watts, Kia, and Colley were very impressive. Physical, yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of times guys come into that situation and they might be tentative. There was even a play on the sideline where Colley could have drilled the guy, but it would have been a it would have been a late hit, and he had the good sense to pull up and not right. hit a guy, which I – which for a true freshman is impressive because he obviously he wants to go out there and impress. But as it relates to Watts, yeah, what we saw on Saturday is not relatable to what he needs to do against Virginia. Now, maybe he has has played well back there in practice situations, and that translates to, to Virginia. But what we saw on Saturday against Navy doesn't translate. So you don't throw him out there based upon what happened against Navy per se. But I like their aggression. Key is a hitter. I mean, the hit that yeah. he had on the kick return made the entire crowd, you know, ooh and ah because of the physicality of it. So, I mean, those are three guys that I thought, I mean, that not only, I mean, they showed well. They stepped out and showed themselves very well. They didn't just put in the time that a lot of guys, you know, getting mop-up duty in the fourth quarter do. And I like Pete's point about Kia or what he heard about Kia. I mean, remember, when they needed a Viper, they moved him to Viper. And then he's running down on special teams. He's certainly an intriguing prospect. Um, I am always thought he would be a middle linebacker at Notre Dame, but I just wonder how they're going to work him in with all these linebackers coming in. He could easily be a package player next year, right? Yeah, I would think so. And I, I want to say, you know, you see high school film and some of it can quote lie. Your eyes 
create a lie, but Kia's, Kia's feet on high school film were yeah. outstanding and he does have good size. So, yeah, I think all three of those guys, that's, that's a really promising uh, showing for those guys against Navy. Golden Domer 73. How much do you think wins over Wisconsin, Purdue and North Carolina are looking to bolster Notre Dame's college football playoff resume? How much better do you think they are? I, I mean, they do. Uh, Wisconsin has done some, some really, really good things. Tim, Tim, I just, what did I just say? I know they lost to, they lost to Penn state, but they, uh, they beat a good army team. They shut out Illinois and Illinois jumps up and beats people. They beat Purdue. They beat Iowa. I mean, that resume is looking good, but the problem is that they're <laughs> that Florida, the resumes of Florida state, Toledo, Virginia tech, Georgia tech, Stanford, those aren't very good. And, and that will, that will pull North, pull Notre Dame down. Yeah, Wisconsin helps, but like Wisconsin helps if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten West, and it really helps if they win the Big Ten, um, which is not would not be the most ridiculous thing that I've heard of in college football in 2021. But um, Purdue, Purdue, I just don't think I don't. I guess if Purdue won at Ohio State this weekend, then maybe you'd look at Notre Dame beating Purdue slightly differently. Um, uh, look, I think if they beat Ohio State, you look at it differently. But that's yeah. it takes that though. Like Michigan State yeah. was a two point favorite over Purdue. That there was you you could not bet on Michigan State in that situation. No, and feel, and feel good about yourself that they are. Just, North Carolina uh, doesn't do anything for anybody as far as in no, terms of a resume no. win. I think North Carolina. We summed it up. Team you have to beat. That's not all that easy to beat. Yeah, it's a team you absolutely you have to beat them. It's just not that easy the whole time because they have Sam Howell. Virginia right. the same and, thing. And they and North Carolina wins when the other team just doesn't have enough offense to, you know, com- compete with that. Uh, because, I mean, defensively, North Carolina is just a middle of the road team, and and that I don't think it should be that way when you consider what they were last year and who they had coming back. They shouldn't be that way, but that's uh, that's exactly where they are. Question from Dalla Bills: Why is Michael Mayer not a bigger factor in this offense? Shouldn't he be targeted more than he currently is? Uh, I mean, he leads the team in targets. Could he be targeted more? Yes. Um, I think other teams also know that. Um, but there, I mean, like one of the images that stuck with me from Saturday is Mike Mayer running so open, he had to wave at Jack Cohn to see him, and Jack Cohn did not see him. So they're not getting everything that they could or should out of Mayer, but they certainly are trying to target him a lot. As Tim has pointed out, he has really had a good year blocking too, especially the last month and a half. Um, and look, he leads the team in targets, missing a game and being totally bracketed for 100% of another game. He's he's doing all he can, but I get it. I mean, he has three touchdowns still. He had two third down conversion. Kevin Austin has passed him in third down conversions. I put that in my uh, Sunday column. It's kind of crazy to think that because Michael Mayer's a third down machine, but it's 13 to 12 now. And Kyron's got 11. Um, yeah, you could get more out of him, but it's not on. I don't think it's on Michael Mayer. Um, although that's what Dollar Bills is saying. Could he be targeted more? I like the amount of time. If you could get Mayer targeted seven times and Austin seven times and Styles six times and the running backs a little less. I'm Ky- I'd target Kyron a little less, as Pete pointed out on Twitter. It's not great that he has to make 12 guys miss every time. Yeah. Not like amazingly schematic plays that kind of gets the ball. Um, yeah, yeah I w- there's got to be some more creative stuff to do with Mayer. Yeah. You watch an NFL game and how some of the elite tight ends are used. Mike Mayer really doesn't get used that way. I mean, it's like that the rollout dump in the flat, which was a good play when Tyler Buckner ran it. 
not a good play when Jack Cohn ran it. Um, that kind of stuff's a, kind of pedestrian, right? Like that's not, mm-hmm. not an amazing, that's how Alize Jones got used. Um, like Michael Mayer should be used in a, in a more creative way than that. So that, maybe there's, there's definitely more room. There's room for improvement in this. Well, but there's also a lot of attention on Mayer and this, yeah. the, I mean, the 70 yard touchdown to Austin was a result of, Jamal Glenn, who was, who was a corner, but was playing a part of a two deep safety. He made a move on Michael Mayer because he came in and filled the area yeah. of the field where, you know, he, he moved up instead of out. And by not moving out to Austin, we, there was a 70 yard touchdown. So, I mean, it's, there's more to it than targets. There's the presence on the field that Michael Mayer has and oh, the sure. attention that he draws, which allows other people to, to have success, specifically that that 70 yarder to Kevin Austin. I think it can come up when Notre Dame kind of had a slow half and another slow quarter offensively. You wonder why Mayer isn't. You, just, you can just look down at Mayer and think he can probably do no, some more damage. That, yeah, that, that makes sense. And that, I mean, that's probably more on Jack Cohn than it is Tommy yes. Reese. Uh, you know, I uh, Breeze made the comment, I think it was last week, that if if he had Michael Mayer as a as a, a – a tight end on the field with him, he would be number one or number two in every progression that he had. And I'm, and I'm sure that that's pretty close to the truth with Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, it, it can't, the play call and the quarterback decision and all the moving parts changes things. Denver Maximus with just four scholarship receivers left on the roster. What does Notre Dame do now moving forward to maximize the passing threat? Okay, Brian Kelly explained this today. Lorenzo Styles is moving to the slot. Kevin Austin will play some X in addition to the W when he's at the X. That's when you see Colsey at the W. Uh, Tyree can line up in the slot. Kyron Williams has lined up in the slot. They can do things with Mayer uh, on the boundary side. Brian Kelly referenced what they would do with Tyler Eifert back in the day with him. And then last, he mentioned Jaden Thomas, uh, the other freshman that hasn't... uh, that that hasn't been actually there are five scholarship players available Thomas being the fifth but there are only four uh, among guys that have played a significant role for them so you know I mean I thought that sounded like a pretty good plan mapped out by Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese and the offensive staff uh, I think in tail of the tape I mentioned Lorenzo Styles may move to the Z uh, I hadn't thought about Austin playing the X and Colsey playing the W but that's a that's a good little twist where you can I mean, you can have Colsey, Austin, and Styles on the field together. I haven't even mentioned Braden Lindsay. Of course, he's the X, but um, they can they can make it work with with that kind of movement. Yeah, it's really just a matter of uh, fatigue, right? Like it's it's a really nice starting lineup. Still, uh, it just in the fourth quarter, or if you you know if you're running go, I mean, you see it all the time. They you have a receiver run a go route, he taps his helmet, he goes out of the game, like. There's not a lot of guys to come into the game if you have to go out anymore. Yeah, you sh- they should be fine for a game, though. Like, when a guy comes – like, Salerno will steal seven snaps in the Salerno's slot because he, yeah. he knows what he's doing. So, I, we should put a point on the Jaden Thomas. Brian Kelly also added he's coming up from scout team to learn varsity this week in case somebody gets hurt for future weeks. Like, he's going to travel and be on varsity, but he doesn't know the offense. So, this is not a Jaden Thomas week. We could at least – maybe not on the message board. We can at least let that out be out there in the podcast world. Um, and then Takas takes some, I mean, Takas can play five more snaps, mm-hmm. but you guys are right about if somebody else gets hurt, then you really get some yeah. fatigue going in and, and 
Kyron, I mean, Kyron can play. You could take Kyron on eight less backfield plays and give him to Logan Diggs. Let Kyron use be in the slot in those plays. Right. Did I mention Tyree? Because he did say yeah, Tyree, did, of, of course, as well can can uh, line up in the slot. So it's. I think it's a. I mean, it's a it's a really good plan. I think it's a really good plan. They just cannot afford any more injuries there. Uh, that's they've reached their limit there. Question from R Wild underscore Scout. What type of defensive alignments do you expect the Irish defense to be in for the majority of the game versus Virginia? A fan favorite. Not the, the nickel I mean, of fan oh, the, three, the, the nickel and the, the nickel and the three three structure. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see. Yeah. Of course I you are. I mean, yeah, you're going to see nickel and dime and and three down linemen. Uh, that provided that Armstrong is at quarterback. Now, if it's somebody else. You go, you go much more conventional than you normally would against them. It's uh, um, the North Carolina game. I can't remember how many plays North Carolina ran, but uh, Notre Dame was in nickel and dime in that game for all but two plays. Yeah, it'll be so to that, right? Yeah. So Bracey is starting. It's like in. I don't. This is this plays to Notre Dame's weakness without Kyle Hamilton. Even if I think it plays to Notre Dame's weakness with Kyle Hamilton, who's who's a better football player, Jack Kaiser or Tariq Bracey? Just you know, in terms of being a college football player, it's Jack Kaiser. But now you're subbing out Jack Kaiser because you have to play Tariq Bracey, and at the back, you're you're already without Hamilton. So now you're down to the DJ Brown, Houston Griffith, Ramon Henderson mashup, which is not. Um, not a good situation. I don't, I mean, what was a couple of weeks ago when he had the Cam Hart total stud question or not? And then he has the game against Wisconsin. You're like, holy cow, it's all happening for him. Like the fact that he was subbed out of the game by, for strategic reasons against Navy. And then Drew Brady's reference, how you need to have your corners be really good tacklers. Like that, yeah. that was always sort of like what I thought Cam Hart was good at. Right. I, I, I'm not sure that that message was clearly clearly passed on by Drew Brees per se. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I was now, confused. If, if Cam, if you say Cam Hart just doesn't have a real good grasp of the concept of defending triple option. Okay. That's what you I, can understand that's how I that. Yes. Right. I think it was, I think if, it, if anything, it was more that than his tackling ability. That would, right? that would make me feel better about right. where Cam Hart right. is. Right. I think Cam Hart has had two hideous tackle attempts that has otherwise been a very good tackler. Is that fair? I agree. Yeah, oh, yeah. At, I, I don't yeah, look at absolutely. him in that way. I don't look at him that way yet, and I don't think we will. Those were just, and one of them, he you can kind of one of the the first one against Virginia Tech, it was obviously just indecision on his part. He didn't know yeah. what he wanted to do. How about hey, how, how, yeah? How about Drew Brees? I, I mean, I'm really enjoying the commentary. I like him too. Really yeah. enjoying yeah. the commentary. It's a good job. Irish fan 425 with Brennan Armstrong ailing. What does Virginia have behind him at quarterback if he can't play? Will there be much of a drop-off? And this is when the defensive structure question will change. Oh, absolutely. It would change. It, it would be a 180-degree turn yes. if they can't play Armstrong. They don't have good options at quarterback. If, if, if Armstrong starts and gets hurt or can't play in general, Virginia's screwed. 45-14. Yeah, they can't win this 14. game. If they, I mean, they can't win this game. They, I, I'm not sure they can compete at all. Right if Armstrong is not a quarterback for them. I agree. I think Notre Dame will win by three touchdowns minimum if Armstrong is not playing. 
and the over 65 is in jeopardy too because they won't score that much against Notre Dame's base defense without Brennan Armstrong in there. They don't. I mean, they don't run the ball well. Armstrong's their leading rusher, which, as you you said, Tim. I mean, that right off the bat, that's going to impact them even more. Um, well, just say Sam Howell didn't run the ball once against Notre Dame. <laughs> I mean, what yeah. are we even looking at? Right. Yeah, and they do have. I mean, Brian Kelly talked about Billy Kemp is a is a threat. Jelani Woods, the tight end, he didn't. He came back and said they're tight. Their tight end is a beast. Where did he come from? He's from Oklahoma State. He was he was he was productive at Oklahoma State, right? Yeah. They uh, have the best array of skill position talent that Notre Dame is facing this year. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It's a weird down year for USC's receivers around London, Purdue. Does not produce. North Carolina doesn't yeah. have the depth of talent they had a receiver last year. Yeah, but without right. Brennan Armstrong, I mean, I, you know, rarely do I reduce it down to one player, but because their offense is so absolutely, re- their 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 success is so tied to him just overall. Right. That without him, boy, I, I tell you, they um, home crowd night game, it, it won't matter if he, he if he's not uh, if he's not in the lineup and productive for them. Statman72, is Virginia's rushing defense bad enough for Notre Dame to consider a grounded pound strategy to eat the clock? Yeah, well, I mean, yes, it's it's that bad. I don't know that necessarily Notre Dame's going to look at this like we have to, you know, because when you do that, now you're now you're kind of playing to the opponent. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I, I think they still want to be, I think they still want to do what they do. I, I'm not sure that Notre Dame, I guess my way of answering is I'm not sure that Notre Dame is going to worry about the clock against Virginia per se. I think they're they're going to do what they do best. I think Virginia will let you score too quickly to run clock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you they they could Notre Dame could have more of a ground oriented game plan, but I think they're still going to play at tempo to Tim's point. But I think a ground oriented game plan could just be like ten yard run, fifteen yard run, eight yard run, fifty yard run. Like they could just run right through them. Yeah, I think if it's thirty eight. 28 entering the fourth quarter, let's say Armstrong plays as 38, 28. Then Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly might say, all right, Kyron Williams for five of the next six plays here. But other than that, I think you just go play that up-tempo attack. And I think Notre Dame just figures we're going to go score 45 points and win the game that way. Have we yeah. seen a line on uh, – is there a line on the game? Have you seen it? There it is a line six. on the game. Of it opened at six and then went down to four and a half. Yeah, four and a half. I've not looked at it today. Over under 65. Wow, interesting. Which would be impossible to reach without Armstrong in there, but very easy to reach if he's healthy. Uh, yeah, but he, I'm, there's no doubt that he will not be there. I mean, there's right, absolutely he won't no be healthy. Doubt that he right, be. he's not healthy. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, question from Buck Dancer: Between all the injuries and a good portion of the offensive line lacking physical strength, really, uh, has this been a disappointing year for Matt Bayless? I cede my time to Tim Priester for an answer. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say we know where this was. No, going. come on. I asked the question. You yeah. guys answer. <laughs> it is not, Ben. I bet he's been disappointed that a lot of his players have gotten hurt. He was he was upset when Jacob Lacey got his ankle bent back in the Virginia Tech game after he had really made great strides. After Lacey lost, what, 18 pounds to play defensive tackle and on the Matt Bayless program, won the job, came in, decided to play nose tackle, played great against Wisconsin, and then got his ankle bent back. That was disappointing. 
Is this I mean, it's disappointing? Is this because disappointing because Avery Davis tore his ACL on the turf, or Kyle Hamilton twisted his knee sideways on that super awkward fall? I I don't know. I mean, it's it disappointing that Kyron Williams is can flip, but then just goes back into the game <laughs> or have his ankle twisted multiple. Maybe not showing a lot of mutual respect to Kyron Williams' ankles during the game. By the way, no. um, yeah, yeah, that's, so. yeah, boy, that's true. I, I is 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 it Matt Bayless's fault that Chris Tyree has turf toe? And Brian Kelly said that that was a pre-existing or or something that he had dealt with in high school. Look, Matt Bayless is a great strength and conditioning coach, but when you lose fourteen players in the NFL, you're not as strong in the trenches as you as you were before because you have younger guys that haven't been in the program. The, I, I look, I agree that if you if you have a bad strength and conditioning coach, it can lead to injuries. Nordim does not have a bad strength and conditioning coach. They have a great strength and conditioning coach and the correlation just doesn't match up here. That's, I I just, I don't see that. That's like saying, and a lot of people say this, that when a play doesn't work, it was a bad play call. Well, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not executed properly. You know, the notion that an unsuccessful play is a bad play call and a good play is a good play call. That's just, that's just not reality all the time. It's not the way it works. It's the same thing. I think a little bit different, but I think a, a similar thing in this instance. Um, are you guys disappointed that Matt Bayless got the fourth left tackle ready to play? Who was a tight end last year in high school? Yeah, I mean, he. I'm sure. I'm sure that player's father had a lot to do with that as well. I'm but, sure he did, but he didn't arrive ready. No, it's no, it's very true. I, I just. Uh, I, you know, the, I don't, I don't agree with the premise of the question. Arrow Ryan, the Irish are eight and one in a year. Many called a rebuilding season. There are about half a dozen freshmen playing meaningful offensive snaps and playing well. Just how good of a job has Brian Kelly and his coaching staff done this year? Well, we've, we've seen all over the country that when a starting quarterback goes out, the backup is, is so inept that they can't even run anything offensively. And Notre Dame has three quarterbacks, all of whom have contributed to victories. Um, so I think the offensive coordinator has done a good job there. The quarterback coach is the offensive coordinator. I think he's done a good job. It goes without saying that, I mean, Mike Elston is a, is a great defensive line coach. Brian Kelly just wins, man. He's 51 and nine in his last 60 games. Um, he beats all the teams that he should, which is why they're 51 and nine in their last 60 games. I think a couple of weeks ago when you could sort of see 11 and one developing, Potentially, it said that I would definitely be writing a is this Brian Kelly's best coaching job kind of story at some point, and nothing has changed. Like if they go eleven and one, that will be that will be something that will be appropriate to write. Yeah, I think he's had some really good coaching jobs um, in his career, but I feel like Notre Dame fans are going to have a little bit of a feeling of regret because maybe the one game that I think we all agree Brian Kelly was not his normal last five years self and the same goes for maybe Tommy Reese this year was when they really needed it against Cincinnati. Right. No, none of the three of us are going to go back in time and say that he was, that staff wasn't out coached by Cincinnati staff. In that oh no, no. Absolutely. That's, that's, come on. I mean, and they that was thoroughly that was, outcoached. Had there day. were two games where you really, they out, they all, they, there were two huge games back to back there. They really, they really found a way to beat Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin, Give Notre Dame credit to the defense they played. Graham Mertz was bad, but they really found a way. That was a program win that they wouldn't have had six years prior, five years prior with this roster. Um, 
yeah, he's done a really good job. It's tough for Notre Dame fans because there is that giant mark where you're like, ugh. And Cincinnati, like, you, you know you can beat Cincinnati. It is a thing that Notre Dame could have done, right? You, could, you can beat Cincinnati. They didn't lose a game to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson no. to knock them from being in it. So I get, I get the angst that people have. But Brian Kelly has done a great job otherwise because four left tackles and three quarterbacks and all these freshmen being used to out of need. He had to use these freshmen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doing it I mean, without I, Kyle Hamilton was lost during yeah, the USC game. Kyle Hamilton. And North Carolina. Yes. And, I, you know, Jeff Quinn's offensive line was horrible at the beginning of the year, and it's it's done. A, they've done a really nice job now. Yeah. So some yes. good, some yeah. obviously some positive things that have happened there. Um, you know, the, the, Freshman receivers have started to develop. Yeah, they've they've done a great job. And if Nordane played Cincinnati this weekend, they would probably be well, in a like, better like, position to win than they were when they played them. But that's that's football, oh, man. I mean, that's not just the probably, way it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, proper sure. No, there's yeah. no doubt. 100%. You know, credit, right. Cincinnati gets credit. Cincinnati came in, punched Nordane in the mouth, never looked back, yep. beat them. I'm total credit Cincinnati, their coaching staff, yes. and their players. But – I get the angst that people will have. And I also get your thought though, Pete, it's, it is one of his best coaching jobs. I just, I, I was trying to say he's done some really, he said some really good coaching jobs without one of those games on there. You know, his, his other losses have generally been, look who they lose to Georgia, Clemson, Alabama. When you throw Cincinnati in there, it doesn't sound the same. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Totally agree. But I still stand by the fact that Cincinnati is a good football team and we can downplay Yo, that. Sure they are. Sure we they can are. downplay that all, all that we want. And yeah. I know that they haven't played well lately because every football team in the country goes through stretches during even Alabama. Think about where Alabama was defensively at the start of last season. Every football game. team go. Well, every LSU football team go right there. Yeah. LSU had a legitimate chance to beat Alabama this weekend. I was watching that game and looking, thinking to myself, man, you imagine drawing this team when you're 28 point favorite, you get on the field and you're like 28 point. What? <laughs> There's so much speed yeah. running around out there. <laughs> That's yeah. not your normal 28 point underdog. Last question from Jay Marasco. After two exhibition basketball games, what is the outlook for the season? NCAA tournament top six in the ACC. Will you, will you, did we put out must yeah, wins toss up games? Okay. We always you, do are, bus, yeah, bus and steals and stuff like yeah, that. Will so you we, be putting out your must-wins toss-up and games that are steals? That's all you, O'Malley. Gotcha. I won't do it right now on the podcast because we have to focus no. on Virginia. No, but in but, answer to the question. Uh, I agree with the NCAA tournament and top six in the ECC. It's a crime if they're not. I mean, it's an absolute crime. And I realize that the, the core players – have not become as as good of players as they were projected when they were yeah. recruited, but they're an experienced group. They're more than capable, and the whole key is you add Paul Atkinson and Blake Wesley to the equation, and that makes the other five or six guys that we're talking about that much better. If they do not make the NCAA tournament, it's a crime. I want to go on a record here because we have been very critical of him and the ridiculous nature of being compared to Patrick Mahomes. Prentice Hub is going to have a very good year because he does not have to do what he used to do. Pound the ball on the ground for 30 seconds. Try to create something on the shot clock. He has two better players. I mean, Wesley's not better yet, but he has two better talents than him on the court with him. And it's going to help 
Prentice Hub, and it's going to help Dane Goodwin to not have to be a 37-minute guy that has to be the third best scorer. I think it really, I think they really have a shot uh, to make some early noise because, and you, you got to hope they do. They have so many veterans. You got to be able to have a good showing in wherever Maui's going to be called. It's still called Maui, probably, but the type of games you can win with veterans. Yeah, the trickle down effect uh, of those those two those two additions in particular. Hub off the ball. Hub off the ball. It's hub great. off the ball. Um, it's going it, there will be times where it's difficult to keep Wesley off the floor because he shot one for and I know you you went to a worse basketball uh, exhibition game than I did. Yes, I did. Say Nor- say Norbert was was more accomplished than that. Uh but I I don't remember where I've watched a basketball game and a guy shot one for nine and I said, man, he he was a difference maker on the court and that was Wesley. He didn't make his shots, but he impacts everybody around him and Atkinson will too. All right, that's it today for uh, Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back on Thursday with more about Virginia. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.